Well, good morning, everyone, and um, it's um, good for us to be here and just to reflect on our Lord this morning and uh, really on His crucifixion. And, and then our service this morning is, is going to be a little bit different than, than what we used to on a Sunday. Uh, it's going to be a service really of reflection where we would read Scripture, where we'd have time for, for contemplation, reflection, and, and prayer and we will sing um, as well. And uh, so this, this, the reflection will walk our way through three uh, stages. First of all, the, the, the need for our Savior, then the provision of a Savior, and then also finally the work of the Savior. Um, let, me, let me pray for us before we start. Father, we come to you and um, Lord want to... I acknowledge your your goodness and your grace to us, Lord, uh, as we reflect and remember the cross and Christ, our Savior, uh, dying in our place. Lord, as we reflect and remember this, Lord, minister to our hearts. Lord, fill us with joy at the at the knowledge, Lord, that you have given your Son uh, to save a wretch like us. And we we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, just the, the need for a Savior. I mean, the reason why we need a Savior is because God is holy. God is righteous. God is just. And, uh, and because sin, sin is a rebellion against God. Sin is hostility towards Him. It's opposing Him. Uh, it is defying Him, uh, provoking His wrath and uh, necessitating his righteous judgment. And yet it also allows us sin, the fact that sin is present, allows the Lord God to, to display the greatness of his love, his mercy, and his grace. And so we need a savior because sin came into this world. It is through one man that sin entered into the world and death through sin and death spread to all men because all sinned. Um, sin brings brings death. Sin kills. Sin killed man spiritually, kills man physically, and it kills man eternally because the wages of sin is, is death. Uh, sin also separates us from God. It separates man from God. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, But your iniquities have made separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Um, it alienates us from God. Sin does. Colossians 1.21, you were formerly alienated and enemies in mind and in evil deeds. So sin kills, sin separates, and sin is very pervasive and sin condemns. God's assessment of man is, is, is pretty dire. Uh, we read in Genesis 6 verse 5, Then Yahweh saw that the evil of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Man is totally corrupt because of sin. Matthew 15, 19 reminds us that for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, Adulteries, sexual immorality, thefts, false witness, and slander. 
And Galatians 5.19 tells us that the deeds of the flesh, that the deeds that we do because of our sinful flesh or are very evident, which are sexually immoral, immoral, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissension, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, man is dead in his sin and is under the wrath of God. Ephesians 2 verse 1 tells us that um, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the, world, the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in working in the sons of disobedience among whom we all also formerly conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even the rest. And so our sin provokes God's wrath, and it necessitates his judgment, for he is holy, he is righteous, and he is just. And his, 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 righteous, or his wrath um, and judgment is a present reality. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Um, God's wrath is currently being executed in that he hands man over to his sin. A man who refused to acknowledge him as God, who refused to know him, accept him, or worship him as God. Um, God gives them the desire of their hearts. Say, so you do not want anything to do with me. Now I will hand you over to your desire. And they hands basically gives them over to, to sin. And so in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, I'm going to read quite a long passage. Just follow along as I read. Uh, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, both his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse." For even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image and a likeness of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their heart to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to dishonorable passions. For their females exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the males abandoned the natural function of the female and burdened in their desire 
or burned in their desire toward one another, males with males committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to an unfit mind to do those things which are not proper, having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, violent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the righteous requirement of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they do not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Therefore, you are without excuse, O man, everyone who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you presume this, O man, who passes judgment on those who practice such things and does the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepented heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will repay to each according to his works. And so we'll see that God's judgment is, is, a, is a present reality in giving people over to their sins. But it's also a future uh, event where God will pour out his wrath upon the earth in the future day of wrath through his seal, his trumpet, and his bold judgments on earth. Revelation 6, 15 reminds us, Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? God's judgment on sin is certain. Um, Hebrews tells us that inasmuch as it is appointment for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. God's judgment is just according to what we have done. Revelations 20 reminds us that, And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. 
For this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And Jesus taught in Matthew 13 that, so it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is a pretty dire picture of the condition of man, that we are all sinful and in, under God's wrath and under his judgment. Before we move on, I want to give us time to just reflect, to contemplate really our need for a Savior because we stand condemned before him, before the holy and just God who demands that our sin be punished. And so reflect on your sinfulness, the sinfulness of sin, the sinfulness of our own sin, the helplessness and the hopelessness of man in this terrible condition. Perhaps examine your own heart, and if you find sin there, confess that now before the Lord, and also reflect on the need for a Savior for those who are near and dear to us, our family and friends that we know who are under God's wrath and judgment and yet still have not turned to Him uh, for salvation. So let's just take a few moments and reflect on the need for our Savior. Father, indeed, you are holy, holy, holy. You are mighty, you are exalted, you are righteous, you are just. And Lord, sin is evil, sin is wickedness, sin is defiance, sin is rebellion, sin is transgression. 
And Lord, rightly do all who fall in that category, which your word tells us is every man and every woman and every child, that we are born in sin and that we live a life of sin and that we are hopeless and helpless unless you send us a Savior, you provide for us a Savior. Let us continue by singing Man of Sorrows.
And so we need a Savior, and, and, and we find that a Savior was promised for us from the Scriptures. God is great in holiness, great in righteousness and justice, and He will punish sin, all sin, but praise be to God that He is also great in love, in mercy, and in grace, and He has provided for us a, a great Savior. Uh, God promised on the day that sin entered this world at the fall that one would come who would crush the serpent's head. Genesis 3.15 reads, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, addressing the serpent here, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And the one who will come will be lifted up, exalted, uh, but not before he was bruised on the heel, not before he had to die for the penalty of sins of his people. Now, please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13. This wonderful passage of the suffering servant uh, that was given to us hundreds of years before Christ came. Verse 13 of chapter 52, Isaiah reads, Behold, my servant will prosper and will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were appalled at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations, kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them, they will see, and what they had not heard, they will understand. Who will believe our report, and to whom has the arm of Yahweh been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground, he has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our peace fell upon him, and by his wounds we were healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way, but Yahweh has caused the iniquity of all of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, 
who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, that for the transgression of my people, striking was due to him. So his grave was assigned with the wicked, yet he was with a rich man in his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth, but Yahweh was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if you would place his soul as a guilt offering. He will see his seed, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of Yahweh will succeed in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, therefore I will divide for him a portion with the many, and he will divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Let us reflect on, on the Savior that will come and what was required really of him in order for us to be set free from our sin. So perhaps close your eyes and just reflect on some of these, these things as I mentioned them, that he was marred more than any man, that, and his form was really disfigured more than the sons of men. He was despised and forsaken. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was smitten and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. God's wrath against our iniquity fell on him. And he was cut off from the living because of our transgressions. He willingly offered himself as a guilt offering satisfying the demands of the righteous one. He intercedes for transgressions. So let us reflect and worship the Father for giving us his Son. Let us reflect on the cost of our redemption. Let us reflect on the love and grace of the suffering servant.
Father, we are humbled that you would send us your Son to be your servant, suffering in, in our place. Lord, we, we thank you that because of him, many will be justified because he bore their iniquities. That he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, even though he never sinned and had no transgression of his own. Father, thank you for Christ Jesus. Thank you for the suffering servant. Thank you for your love and your grace and for the cost of our redemption. We are humbled by your great love and mercy and grace. Amen. So we've looked at our need for a Savior. We looked at the wondrous promise of a Savior. And now we'll look at the work of our Savior in his day, the days of his incarnation. Can we stand and sing when I survey the wondrous cross? And if I can ask the, the four men who's doing the reading just to come forward as well and... If you can take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 22, verse 
63. Now, the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him while they beat him. And they blindfolded him and were asking him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who hit you? And they were saying many other things against him, blaspheming. And as the day came, the Sanhedrin of the elders of the people assembled, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to the Sanhedrin, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You yourself say that I am. Then they said, What further need do we have of testimony? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Then the whole assembly rose up and brought him before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesars, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. So Pilate asked him, saying, Are you king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, You yourself say it. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they kept on insisting, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. Now when Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean, and when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was in Jerusalem in those days. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he rejoiced greatly, for he had wanted to see him for a long time, because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some sign performed by him. And he questioned him at some length, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes were standing there vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a bright robe and sent him back to Pilate. Now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day. For before they had been enemies with each other, and Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having, having examined him before you, I have found in this man no guilt of which you are accusing him. No... Nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us. And behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Therefore, 
I will punish him and release him. Now he has, he was obliged to release to them at the feast one prisoner. But they cried out all together saying, away with this man and release for us Barabbas. He had been thrown into prison for an insurrection made in the city and for murder. But again, Pilate addressed them, wanting to release Jesus. But they kept on calling out, crying, saying, Crucify, crucify him. And he said to them a third time, Why, why? What evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt worthy of death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. But they were insistent with loud voices asking that he be crucified. And their voices were prevailing. And Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand be granted. And he released the man they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. But he delivered Jesus to their will. And when they had led him away, they took hold of a man, Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the country and placed, him, uh, placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. And following him was a large multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop crying for me, but cry for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Now two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by, looking on. And even the rulers were scoffing at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals hanging there was blaspheming him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for what we have done. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, 
Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. And it was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured, and the veil of the sanctuary was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was righteous. And all the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, were returning, beating their chests. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance watching these things. And behold, a man named Joseph, who was a council member, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their counsel and action, a man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. It was preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and beheld the tomb and how his body was laid. Then after they returned, they prepared spices and perfumes, and on the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. Before we get into the time of reflection, just a small thought for us to consider. The two thieves are the two criminals on either side of the cross. Um, in Matthew and Mark, we see that both criminals and the crowd, all of them mock Jesus. But in Luke, we see that one of the criminals has a change of heart. And as time goes by, he not only acknowledges his sin, but he recognizes his need for a savior. And he looks to Christ. He looks at the righteousness and innocence of Christ. And he turns to him. We can be like one of the criminal who does not see the need to repent, who does not see the extent of our sin, the gravity of our sin, the consequence of our sin, and mock God. Or we can be like the other one who repents, who humbles himself and turns to Christ. The truth of the fact is that we are the criminals on either side of the cross. We are the crowd that nailed Jesus to the cross. We deserve nothing but death and eternal hell. Jesus was not a criminal. He didn't commit any crime. But he was made a criminal for us. He died in the place of hundreds and thousands and millions of criminals like you and me. We were the ones that were to be hung on that cross. But he took our place so that we might be set free from sin, free from the penalty and free from the debt of sin. We're going to spend some time now reflecting on the passage that we read. And let's bow our heads and close our eyes and spend some time thinking about what Christ has done for you, what we deserve, and what Christ has done for us, and the hope and the blessing that we have in Christ Jesus.
that God, his son not sparing, he sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on a cross, my burdens gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior, God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Dear Lord, as we ponder the man Jesus on the cross, our hearts are filled with gratitude and thankfulness for how much you suffered and sacrificed for us, taking our punishment for our sins on yourself and rescuing our souls from the depths of hell. Thank you, Lord, for choosing us to be your people, even before we were born, even before the foundations of the world, Lord, you knew us name by name. And our hearts resonate with the words of David in Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of us, Lord? There is nothing good in us. We were people outside your kingdom. We were your enemies. We were the ones that hung you on that cross. <clears throat> but your word says, in love you predestined us to be adopted as your children. And you brought us into your kingdom and made us your people, your children, your family. Thank you for loving us and dying for us even while we were your enemies. Thank you for being merciful to us and not dealing with us according to the extent of our sin. Just like those criminals, Lord, we deserve to be on that cross dying for our own sins. But you took the place, you took our place and paid the price on our behalf so that we might be set free. Thank you for suffering and enduring the pain and agony for us. You were bruised for our sins, Lord, so that we might be justified and made righteous through your righteousness. Lord, as we sang this morning, it was not the nails that kept you on that cross, but it was your love for us and it was our sins that kept you on the cross until the work was finished. And we thank you, God, that you endured, endured the cross for us. You could have called a legion of angels, you could have destroyed this entire world and created a new world, but Lord, you chose to die for your church and to be obedient to the will of the Father. Thank you for the great grace you have shown us by blessing us with the undeserving free gift of salvation through the forgiveness of our sins. We now have a new life free from the penalty of sin, and we are being saved daily from the power of sin. Lord, we look forward to the day when we will be in your presence eternally and saved from the presence of sin eternally. You are a great God, and we offer you all this thanksgiving in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, and our friend. Amen. Let's sing the song, There is a Fountain. Let's stand up and sing the song. Speak. 
thank you for this opportunity this Friday to come together and remember you and remember what you've done. Father, we thank you for um, the passages that we read today, Lord God. Lord, we know that we are forgetful people. Lord, help us to remember and reflect on what we've heard this morning. Help us to um, not make this a one-time-a-year thing, but uh, to constantly remember and reflect and to share the gospel, the good news of your son coming for mankind to save and to redeem people. Lord, we ask that you be with us as we leave this place and as we join together again this Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that concludes our service. Um, I hope you have a, a blessed weekend. Remember that we have a Sunday um, gathering as well, uh, Resurrection Sunday. So I hope to see you there. And there's tea and coffee and refreshments out the back. Enjoy.